is a Bramble Jam podcast. Hi, I'm Brandon. You better freaking believe that I love Sign Sealed Delivered. I'm Dan, and I can't believe I'm saying this right now in front of our guests, but I despise Sign Sealed Delivered. Own it, baby. And I'm Eric Mabius, and I'm on Sign Sealed Delivered. And Oliver Cool. And this <laughs> is the Deck the Hallmark Podcast. Oh, boy. what a good day, Dano. Boy, oh boy. What a good day. Uh, it is a good day. Um, now, Eric, you're not going to believe this, but we have a member of our subscription service, Bramble Jam Plus, who said that if we ever got Eric Mabius That's on true. the show, she would pee her pants. Now, I, I don't know why that would be a big deal for her. We explained to her that would like not be... You're like removed yeah, multiple times from this you're not even him. here we're meeting him but from a second hand standpoint that's the excitement level of eric maybe is on deck the hallmark so no pressure well i just hope she's near a bathroom that's all <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right that's I mean, and here's the thing i feel like we gave her enough warning she should have made plans she should have that's so right. if it still happened to her that's on that's her on at her. this point it's not on us in right. my opinion we gave advance warning is all i'm trying to say Adult undergarments, even? Yeah. Even, um, even if you even will. Those. Even if you will. That would work as well. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. We're very excited to talk to you. I know your excitement level is through the roof. This is a big <laughs> honor for you, big I'm sure. for you. I am excited. I'm on the West Coast, so that was a little... I get a lot of writing done at night, so um, I'm a little... Uh, not a hundred percent. So I apologize if I'm not as um, quippy as usual. Uh, I'll, I'll give you, you know, a couple minutes. And then after that, I expect you to, to be, be on locked it. in. All right. All right. Chug, 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 chug. <laughs> All right. All right. There it is. There it is. Uh, Eric, uh, it's great to talk to you. It's great to meet you. Uh, really quick. Uh, give us a, a quick uh, background on, on who you are not as a an actor, not as a uh, you know grown up, but as a child. What were you like as a child? Where you where were you born, and uh, what kind of got uh, little Eric's mind uh, turning and a jump? And what excited you as a child? Well, my mom used to say I could find trouble in a closet <clears throat> all by myself. Fair. I uh, I was born in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, but didn't really live there. I grew up in Massachusetts, in Western Massachusetts. Um, in the woods pretty much and uh i have an older brother and i really just enjoyed you know chasing frogs and digging in swamps and um climbing mountains and chopping wood with my dad and doing you know really kind of and in fact that's what i enjoy now doing as an adult oddly enough (laughs) it's what it sounds like you grew up in a hallmark movie eric is that like in the woods chopping wood like (laughs) Have you ever had to do this for Hallmark? I mean, you seem well, like a natural. Our, our cookies were never perfect. <laughs> we usually cut the tree down on our own property. So yeah, but some of it was pretty, it was pretty idyllic. What it was, was what was the thing that moved your family out to the woods of Massachusetts? Uh, well, that's where, I mean, we were. My, my father ended up being a curator for um, colonial history museums. And there's one smack dab in the middle of uh, Massachusetts, Old Surbridge Village. So we... Actually, they took a design of one of their favorite homes from that village, and we built it, and that's what I grew up in. Oh, my gosh. Four to probably ten or so. Wow. Oh, I, I, yeah. te- I teach AP U.S. history, Eric. It's a true story. I'm not oh, wow. making that up. And uh, Why would you make that up? Why would that be a thing you'd have to Because promote? I'm trying to impress Eric Mabius, Bran. Gah. It's like, just like, well, that'd be a really weird thing to make up. <laughs> Good to be here with you. That's right. right. That's right. Exactly. Um, We were actually, we watched a movie last week where they find a copy of an Emma, the Emma Lazarus poem uh, from the statue of Liberty. And they're trying to find a a museum curator to tell them how much it's worth. And I was like, how does no one know how much this worth? Well, now we have a kind of an expert. Maybe we could do that another time. We're really just here. No, not at all. Just an actor. Unbelievable. Can't be a curator too. whatever. I'm not an expert on Emma Lazarus, but it does (laughs) obviously hold some, some meaning for me yeah so you're uh you're playing in the the mud and whatnot at some point you discovered uh acting so tell us about what tickled your fancy about acting and how you kind of got into it well that was the thing we didn't have we got one and a half tv stations right because we uh we had uh you know the old the ears that you'd move around. Uh, so, and that was sort of the time before really VHS had taken off. So I spent a lot of time 
at drive-in theaters with my parents watching the first feature and pretending to fall asleep for the second, you know, the movie that kids <laughs> weren't supposed to watch. And my, my parents were really, especially my dad, a great lover of, of cinema. And there was something magical about the drive-in and, um, and also my mom loved taking me to plays, whether they be high school or plays, uh, plays or like a big field trip to New York city to see something on Broadway. So, um, I, I always thought there was something, especially after the play was over, going to shake hands or walk by the actors. I thought they were something magical and I never understood the difference between them acting and who are they're supposed to be when they got off stage. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. So there was this, you know, mystification that I was engaged in at an early age. And, um, and I went to a great liberal arts school closed straight on the edge of Manhattan and started interning at a theater in Hell's Kitchen ensemble studio theater and emptying garbage cans and answering phones. And that's where John Patrick Shanley would workshop a new play. So I'd sneak in and watch like John Turturro rehearsing or John Boyd or Richard Dreyfuss. And I was 18 and I was, I was hooked. Uh, I mean, to be surrounded by like legends, I mean, come on, did you, so what was your first, actually, what, is there a particular memory of the, since your dad was such a big fan of the cinema, like a, a particularly memorable movie going experience for you as a child, like where you left the theater and you were like, oh my gosh, the movies are the best place. Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, so much so that. Um, I mean, but that was when you waited in long lines to get into a movie theater, uh, to in, into a movie, and it was so good. Uh, the first and one a few times in my life because we didn't have a whole lot of money growing up. My parents and my brother and not we all um, got right back in line as soon as we finished watching the movie Man. and saw it again. That's yeah. fantastic. You could almost say that they were like blockbusters. They were block. They were blockbusters. They That's were, what they, they were. were. Busting the blocks. That's what they were. After Jaws is kind of the original one, true. And, and then Star Wars kind of changes the game. Uh, there and I was I was hoping you had a Star Wars theater going story like that's the that's the one I wanted to hear anyway which is fantastic um, so what's your first gig like what's the thing that was your first gig where you're like look I'm I'm an actor I did it well I the first two movies um, I did I booked within 24 hours of one another so wow the, the f- one was uh, Welcome to the Dollhouse. But the same within the day, I booked um, a Civil War era movie called well, uh, "The Journey of August King," and it was starring Jason Patrick, yeah, and Tandy Newton and Larry Drake and uh, Sam Waterston. And I just thought, I mean, the indie movie was amazing. That ended up being the film that won Sundance and that everyone ended up seeing, not the Miramax movie. But to go down to you know the hills of North Carolina and on a rainy night and have one of the um, set PAs uh, go in and introduce me to Jason Patrick, whom I'd seen in so many movies when I was younger. It was exciting. It was really exciting. And how, I thought, how did you get to the point to where you were booking those gigs? Did somebody did you discover you at some point and be like, uh, you, yeah, got the, you got the, the, the thing, kid? Well, oddly <laughs> enough, the, um, the casting directors who had cast both those movies uh, used to be interns at uh, Ensemble Studio oh, Theater. Wow. They were probably a generation before me, but really top-notch. Um, Billy Hopkins and um, Risa Garcia. Like These were all people that were doing what I was doing 10 years before. So they had a soft so, spot for you. Like they said, this kid this kid's was us 10 years ago. Well, there was a little community yeah. in there, and they sort of were aware of the people that were doing off-Broadway plays. So it's a, a it was a pretty tight-knit amazing group i love it um so you get an agent uh and you start going on auditions and start getting some early success here um and we talked to so many actors who all talked to us about how look the audition process is arduous is tenuous it's it's tough you know you book one out of a hundred and you just keep going and keep trying and i ask this question every time uh, do you have a memorably bad audition like one where you just left and went Boy, that that was just a waste of my time. I just really never felt it. Didn't feel right. Definitely not getting called. Um, you know, if I, I'm, yes, I have. <laughs> I, I mean, I think every actor, there's half of us that thinks maybe that was it. And the other half is like, there's no way they didn't like me. The truth is, you never really know. Even if you have a great sort of engaging interaction in the room, you just 
you just don't know. And, um, yeah, I think, I think out of self-protection, I don't remember those specifically <laughs> yeah. so much. Yeah. It was more of like, I guess when I'm, when I'm asked, when someone is intentionally trying to manipulate me, I'm not the, I'm not the sitcom guy, clearly. Um, so sometimes I would be sent in on those. Those were the, the ones that I would cringe oh, yeah. during, you know, but it takes a while to sort of find your oddball sense of humor. And, uh, you know, that's why Martha's writing so good because I get a chance to do sort of, you know, everything in between the, yeah. the drama, the romance, the comedy, the no kid. Whatever. Um, so at what point were you, were you working another job to make ends meet while you're taking auditions or were you just a full-time actor from the get go? No, I was, um, I was actually a room service waiter at the Paramount hotel just yeah. off Times Square. Um, Ian Schrager, that was one of his sort of first big gigs after he had gotten out of jail for tax evasion from studio 54. Wow. Um, so I would be bringing breakfast to like, um, Curtin, Courtney Cobain, <laughs> oh my Kate Moss, oh my um, gosh. Anthony Perkins, David Lynch. I mean, you name it, even former secretary of state, James Brady. I mean, the whole gamut, everyone wanted to stay at the Paramount and it was very slick and very exciting, but they're super tiny rooms. So it's, um, it was just a, a funny experience. What's the but, biggest uh, tip you ever got from ooh. any of those guys? Um, I have no idea. It would have been, it's usually, you know, when someone's ordering a bottle of champagne after 12 noon, yeah. that you're going to be getting some kind of tip and everyone wants sort of um, lascivious stories, but you're on such, you have like a, a rack of things to deliver and you have four seconds to deliver each one. There's no time for anything really. You don't have like a specific memory of like Norman Bates throwing you a hundo or something. No, uh, but I do remember bringing um, breakfast to David Lynch and he sort of was standing by the window looking out. And I don't know if he, he does a weather report yeah. on the local radio stations and he was looking out. I remember him shaking his head. Beautiful weather. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. That may be the most David Lynch story of all time. There's a I great mean, uh, Twitter. That, there's a great Twitter follow uh, every Friday. He does a date, like a daily yeah, thing. Yeah. And he goes, it's Friday. It's great. I mean, that, that could have happened in Mulholland drive, like legitimately him, somebody just being like beautiful, wet, like could have happened in one of his movies. That's fantastic. I yeah. love it. Or so, Kurt. I remember Kurt uh, coming to the door. He had ordered um, like a strawberry Sunday. And it was like 9 a.m. He came to the door with a rocking Bullwinkle t-shirt on and he had two socks on one foot and none on the other. Wow. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Didn't, he, didn't, didn't pull out your Bullwinkle he, impression he, at that uh, point? <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't be having it. <laughs> he said, uh, entertain me. That's right. Yeah. Nice, you see what I did? Thank you. Good. Thank you. I'll be for someone who's, good. That was good. I, yeah. I, I saw what you did there. And Brandon, uh, Eric, you and I are, are grizzled veterans. Brandon's only 30 years old. So he doesn't, that's a great reference for you. I mean, you were born in 92. Yeah, I picked the most popular Nirvana song and I worked it into a thing. And that's yeah, what I'm that saying. Was great. Was for great you, bit. that's how low the bar is. Yeah. Is that no, for fair. you, that was, a, that was a really good job. That's fair. Um, Thank you. So, and I know who Rocky and Bullwinkle are. That's unbelievable. Thank you. Man, yeah. I'm just but, but I'm crushing it today. Do you know who Anthony Perkins is? Um, I'll give you a hint. I said it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bullwinkle? He played, he played a very close relationship with his mother. Norman Bates and okay. Psycho. Have you okay. seen Psycho? I haven't seen Psycho. There it is. Um, there it is. Guys, That's I'm what, sorry. And he loves Hallmark movies, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so <laughs> any, anyway... Uh, <laughs> You, when is the gig? What's the gig that gets you out of part-time work into full-time work? What's the gig where you never look back and you made a career out of being acting, being an well, actor, being acting. I don't speak for it was, it was this movie. Welcome to the dollhouse that Todd Solon's directed. I came out to visit. I had the bags on my back from New York, came out to Los Angeles. I was dating someone whose uh, mother lived out here and, um, we borrowed a car and drove to Sundance and I couldn't afford to stay in Sundance. So I drive down into Salt Lake every night, even though I was going up for events and that film won the grand prize. Yeah. So I decided to just stay in Los Angeles and I only had the two bags. 
Sundance. I feel like when your first movie out of the gate wins Wind Sundance, Sundance. You, you don't deliver food to Kurt Cobain anymore. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the, that's the sign from the universe that you stop doing that. Um, you were in, like, I know you from, like, TV work, but, like, or, like you were in a lot of movies. Like, you're a movie boy. Um, yeah. that's what I call you a movie boy. So, uh, what's the, I, I, I'm not an actor. I know nothing about it. What's the biggest difference in filming a movie versus filming a, a, a TV show where you're a regular or one of the, uh, the, the leads? Um, I think the, there's a luxury in being, being able to inhabit the same character over time. Sure. Um, not only because the audience is more invested, but you as a performer, like every time we come back to shoot and sign seal delivered, there is um, there is a simultaneous weight and lightness from what we do because of uh, that the space we've all inhabited together over a long period of time. And and um, the at a certain point, the lines act themselves. If they're written well, they act themselves. And um, the access points you have emotionally are so much uh, closer to the surface. I, I find anyway, over, I mean, I haven't been a, stuck on a procedural year after year. Not that I'm disparaging that at all. <laughs> it's just, um, you know, to, to really be involved with projects that Martha writes, there's just so much she wants to, she doesn't want to write something if she's not engaged and mm. she's assuming the same of the audience. So it's really, um, for me, there's a different kind of investment because you're choosing a film is one off. You're there for six, eight, 10, 12 weeks, whatever it is. And then the circus breaks down and that's it. Right. But with TV, there is an investment that you're making. You're away from your family. You're away from your friends. You're working these crazy hours. I mean, I do that oftentimes. I'm sitting there on set going, are we nuts? Are we crazy? <laughs> like hour 16, hour 17. Are we really, have we lost our minds? But you know, it, uh, it takes a kind of staying power. To, yeah. Um, it's a long winded answer. I'm sorry. No, you're know. fine. That's so it's, great. it seems like you like the first 10 ish years of your career was movie head movie heavy. And then you start doing more TV work where you're a regular, whether it be, uh, eyes which apparently is a show ugly betty well, sign sealed stuff like that so what was the you was there a switch in you like where like i think i want to do more of a tv thing where it's i can develop a character or is that just kind of what happened and you just stumbled into it that's kind of just what happened the thing is when you build up um sort of the people that you like working with have friends and they have friends and then they sort of find out oh well he's great to work with. You should try him out. So I, I'd done this really dark movie, black circle boys. And that guy, writer, director started writing on a show called fast lane, which John McNamara created who ended up writing, creating the show eyes. John McNamara is a brilliant writer, director. He did uh, trumbo was nominated for an Academy for yeah. trumbo a couple years ago. But um, it's all this sort of, I mean, I hate to use the word, but it's a network of, of people that you want to spend 70 hours a week with away from your family. You know, it's, yeah. it's hard sometimes to find someone that vibrates at the same speed as you and mm. that you want to, you know, be sacrificing certain things together with, I guess. What's wild to me is, is you've got, I mean, you've hit a lot of, if not all four quadrants, you've hit a lot of the spectrum here with resident evil. And then you're, you're in two cruel intentions movies but your TV work, there is an off CSI or Blue Bloods, but it seems to be stuff that's that's more dramatic. I mean, not just Ugly Betty, yeah, but even you know Party of Five and the OC and and shows like this. It was that just kind of who you are more as a performer, or were these just more the network and the roles that you were offered? Uh, it's it's both, and there certain things come along. And I mean, that's there's in the old cliche, people only think you can do um they can only imagine you playing the last part that you played and nothing sure. else yeah. yeah 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 so because of how sign seal delivered is listed on like my mdb for instance it looks like i've been doing that for the last 30 yeah. years yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um but it was unthinkable um even 10 years ago that i'd be playing a part like that yes really for sure and i i do want to get there um what's the before we do what's the most family-like, I want to talk Ugly Betty, but before we get to Ugly Betty and Signs of Delivered, 
what's the most family-like atmosphere on set that you got to visit, like of a TV show? Like of all those TV shows you walked on, I know that everybody's like, hey, I'm cast and crew's are family, but what's the one that you were like, man, these people love each other, they're tight, and immediately comes to mind is this was, this was a family experience. I definitely felt that way in Chicago Fire. Okay. Mm. When I had gotten to know Jesse Spencer through the events, press events that we had had to do. So we were friendly. We're, I wouldn't say we were friends, but we were friendly. And because of that previous context, I walked on. He um, really welcomed me. And uh, some of the, his cast members had seen me in you know, Ugly Betty or guest starred on it. So there's, again, the, uh, there's this community of people, even though you aren't directly you know, friends with them that they know that they want to work with you. And um, Chicago Fire was great. I mean, I they've been doing it, you know, it's been many years since I did that show. So I don't know if things have changed, but they're still doing it. So. I feel like you're not the first person to say Chicago Fire. No, yeah. no, no, no. Uh, Ma- Michael Rady was on yeah. Chicago Med and he could not stop talking about how great that atmosphere yeah. was. Um, I, yeah. I, the other question I have about TV is you also were a regular on the L word, um, which was a pretty groundbreaking show for Showtime. And I know that these pay cable networks give a little bit more time to the dramas that they produce. Was there a noticeable difference since you were on a 40 minute, you know, television show, ugly Betty for 85 episodes. Was there a noticeable difference in, you know, how you were treated and what the expectations were on a show like the L word versus a show like ugly Betty? Um, I guess, I guess, uh, honestly, there are a lot more moving parts for ugly Betty. I don't think I've ever, been involved with something that was without there being explosions being so technically complex because we would, we would shoot 11 or 12 day episodes, but I don't know, it's hard. I'd have to draw this out, but when you start, so you'd sometimes be shooting three episodes at the same time because you start an episode and you, you're shooting the current load, finishing up the last one and starting a new one before the schedule, the 12 days are done. Wow. So you have multiple units going. So you're jumping around and you have to really trust the people you're working with in so many ways. It's um, it was just a big kind of amazing machine. And at the same time, this I don't think I've ever been involved with a cast that is that was as close and that we still, have, after all this time, kept in touch. You know, wow. It was really wow special, fantastic. So Ugly Betty, that's a, like a big network show. I <laughs> always imagine networks as being like the worst possible, like at, like I'm not an actor, but I'm like, I gravitate towards like not being with the man, you know? And I think of networks <laughs> as being, you're with the man. What, what was that like? Like were, were, was there more pressure? Cause it's a network show. Like to, was there any Ooh. extra expectations from the network? Again, that's part of the reason why I haven't directed so far. I'm you're, you're shielded in a wonderful way as an actor. You, you have sort of a lane and mm. you're fortunate enough to be able to stay in it. And, um, if you think about the nature of the show, the show could be, it was so far ahead of its time. It would be like it, dead on in the zeitgeist right now. Yeah. You know, my, my sister was trans, you know, it was a, the female lead was Latina. You know, there were so many things so far ahead of his time. The rival in my office was an African-American woman who was, you know, smarter and better at a job than my character was. You know, it was was something about the show that felt um, at the time subversive, wonderfully subversive. Right. So, so even though we were at ABC, it was the producer, Ben Silverman, who, who really is groundbreaking at bringing shows that work well in other formats and other countries to the States. He brought the office to the States. Um, and he, uh, partnered up with Selma Hayek right away, uh, before they went and found, uh, America Ferreira. So there were so many things about the show that didn't, that, that was not, um, didn't smack a big network. It's a show that, Oh, I'm sorry, Eric. Keep going. No, no, no. No, I'm. I'm shut up. I, no, I was just going to say it's a show that feels like the almost the last of its era on broadcast television. Like mm. you know, this show is a show that would be on Netflix now or or Hulu or somewhere else. But you're right at the end of 
broadcast networks still produce the best dramas on TV, save for maybe HBO. Like that's what 2006 to 2010 is. It's almost like a dying breed. Like you're almost ahead of your time and behind it at the same time with Ugly mm. Betty. And it's, it's, I mean, it's almost, you got 85 episodes, so there's nothing unfortunate about it, but it, it feels like, was there ever that, I'm, I'm sure there wasn't, but was there ever that feeling on set that like what we're doing isn't the way it's going to be done moving forward? Mm. Uh, well, we had, we had the feeling that what we were doing was setting the tone for what, what was going to be a bunch of people trying to rip off the aesthetic. You know, Victor Nelly was our supervising director and in charge of creating all these amazing transitions and camera shots because he was a cinematographer himself. And, um, there was something, the whole feel of the show, people would ever after that try and go we want a little more ugly betty in it you know something <laughs> that always moved i mean we had this massive set and a steady cam where we would just you could shoot in 360 degrees and move through the entire set it was a massive wow. massive undertaking but so much fun because of it it felt it felt very tv and very theater at the same time it was kind of That's amazing cool. um so let's get to sign sealed delivered um it's been a part of your life for a while now. Uh, it's been a, sh- it's been a movie. It's been a show. It's been more movies. Uh, so talk about how that all happened for you. How'd you get involved with the project? Um, and then we'll go from there. Uh, well, I was, I was actually on an airplane. The doors were closing and my agent manager called and said, we've been tracking this project. Um, it's the woman who created touch by an angel. There's a great part in it for you. We'd like you to have a read and, um, pending your interest, we'll set up a call when you land in China. I was shooting a movie in China at the time, actually. And, um, so we set the call, I read it and I thought, wow, this is really good. And I hadn't really seen, I mean, I grew up on Hallmark hall of fame movies, which, Um, that was, they're, they're bringing them back now, but it was entirely sort of different scope and budget and, um, endeavor entirely. Uh, so I thought this is a brilliant script. I have no idea how they're going to pull off the nuance that was on those pages. Uh, but I was very interested and wanted to speak with Martha. So, uh, I landed, got to my hotel, the call was set and Martha was in on a cruise on a Disney cruise with her two very young daughters at the time. And it was one 30 in the morning and um, she had to go into the closet and take the phone call <laughs> with me uh, while they were having a fire drill. Wow. It's mm. a great story. Safe to really great story. And I thought um, she has a sensibility that reminded me of some of my favorite teachers growing up mm. and um, some of my actually favorite um directors theater directors she had sort of my sorry my brain's not quite there yet but uh kind of acuity and um cultural references that we were right you know right at sort of vibrating at the same speed and uh i was excited and after that we had a long talk and i thought there's no reason not to dive in there really isn't wow uh, I, that is a crazy story. And I do have so many questions, but did you say that they're bringing back Hall of Hallmark Hall of Fame movies? Cause that, that might be news to me. If that's the case, did you say that, that, that? Uh, they, they actually have done a couple, I think Rebecca Roman and Jerry did one. Yeah, no, they're so before it used to be, I believe in CBS's hands, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. it's reverted to Hallmark. Fantastic. Um, Great. I believe they are doing some. Yeah. yeah I mean, so, Things are sort of in a state of flux there right, right. now, so I'm not sure, but of they have. Been, you know. Um, so I, I the, you know, uh, Kristen walked us through that this was picked up for a season, and then at the end they basically chose "Wind Calls the Heart" instead of "Sign Seal Deliver," which, as someone that's viewed both of those programs, uh, is it never is lost on me how bad of a decision that was. <laughs> um, but it is, you, I know you don't have to comment there, Eric. I'll just comment for you. Um, my question <laughs> is this. Uh, there is not, and Eric, I've watched 400 Hallmark movies, and I've watched, you know, probably 100 episodes of Hallmark television. There is not a character um, that gets to do 
anything like what the characters of Sign Seal Delivery get to do on Hallmark. I, I, I'm very confident in that. And we talked to actors from Hallmark who would love to do mm-hmm. what you guys get to do. Sure. And the characters for Signs of Delivered, especially Shane and Oliver, from the, from the jump feel like they've been lived in. Like you guys have been working on them and honing that craft for a long time. And almost like you had this sense where you, there's a, there's a prescience about it, where you know almost where they're headed. Um, First of all, I want you to get a chance because you, you you seem like a guy that wants to make sure everybody gets credit. I want to give, give you a chance to brag on why that's the case. But also, I'd love to hear, you know, when you realized just how special that was for that network. Do, mm. do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not here to slight. We, we interview a lot of homework actors and they're wonderful people, but they have a job to do and that job is very formulaic. What you get to do on Hallmark, holy cow, like, the, the characters that you get to build are very, very different. And so at what point in Sign Seal Delivered did you realize this is different than anything else Hallmark is doing right now? Well, <clears throat> like I mentioned when I read the script that started there, I thought, you know, I've, I've caught some of the Hallmark movies that were going on. And again, I don't, I'm not disparaging anyone, but Martha had ten year, a 10-year run at the helm of um, um, Touched by an Angel, and she had quite literally every every great actor in television pretty much from the 60s, 70s, and 80s yeah. on her show. So she's worked with everyone. She had a kind of confidence. And, um, I mean, I always say she can play a heartstring like um, a genius musician, yeah. but you don't feel manipulated or if you start to you realize the direction she takes you not exactly you have to check off certain boxes but how you got there you couldn't really have anticipated and that's what i really enjoy about working with her um and when we you know when we got to set there was a kind of trust that martha had in us in our abilities uh, which you don't necessarily come across because directors have such intense pressure to get, so you have a scene to shoot and you have to do all the coverage. Like if someone was shooting the scene of you two guys sitting there talking, it would be, you have a big shot of the two of you and then you have medium and close shots. And then you have to do that over the shoulder stuff. You have what's called coverage and it just goes, goes on and on and on. And Martha had the ability to say, we don't, she knew where to cut, cut time and where to spend time and what scenes really needed to be focused upon because she was ultimately the one in the editing room at the end of the day. Wow. Um, I mean, she was editing it in her head while she wrote it and she was editing it as we went along and shot it. And then again in the room after. So gracious. There's a kind of um, expert ability that is hard to come by nowadays. I mean, she started as, there's a great story. I don't know if you have heard any of the, the infamous stories about Milton Berle, but she started as a, a production assistant one day on set and, and her sort of um, trial by fire was they, he wouldn't come out uh, onto set and they threw her into his trailer and she got him to come out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's impressive. So I, I would, a, lo- we got to get Martha on the podcast. We really do. Yeah. How much oh, of the characters did she have formed already? versus like after she has the conversation with you and with Kristen and it's like, this is my person. How much of the characters shaped by knowing you talking to you and like, obviously you're not Oliver, but was what she had in mind for Oliver, what ended up being, and you just kind of played into that or did she change it a little bit after talking with you and getting input? She changed all the characters as time went on and she got to know us. Mm. She based Oliver's character loosely on, I think the, the best attributes of her grandfather, whom she looked up to quite a lot. Mm. And, um, the great thing about her writing is it was, you know, there's the greater fiction going on. A lot of them, there were actually truths, uh, but the way she wove certain real life, she would sit, sometimes you'd be having casual conversation with her and you wouldn't realize she was trolling for inspiration. (laughs) That's right a certain scene and you wouldn't realize it till it, and, but she wouldn't do it apples to apples. She would find a way to sort of uh, twist it 
in there and certain stories about my grandfather ended up in there and, um, and, you know, at, respectively with some of the other actors. So it, it also lent a certain amount of, uh, investment on our part, um, emotional investment, uh, because of what she was doing and because she believed trusted us enough to, uh, implement those stories and to find those things dynamic, which I thought was, was pretty amazing and absolutely rare for a writer to, to, you know, I mean, obviously it's built over time, but to trust the real life stories because they are often, uh, more amazing than, uh, what you can fabricate. Um, are you, if you don't want to talk about this, that's fine. We can edit it out. Are, are you personally a man of faith? Like, do you have any a religious background at all? Uh, I do have religious background. I, I, I don't go to church. I was raised Catholic. My uncle was a priest and my aunt was a nun. Ah, there you so go. So I'd say probably yes. I'd say there's a yes in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate, um, I, I think spirituality is, is, um, essential, whatever it is, whether you, you know, worship being in the woods, nature around you or whomever, I just think it's well, important to impart children, you know, I, I just, but I don't, I think, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of ordered religion per se, because so many evil things have been done in the name of, sure. so I think it's a very personal sort of journey as it should be. The only reason I ask is because there's such a, a fervor in Oliver's character. Like there's a soul there. Um, and it, and it feels, it just feels really real. Um, and so it's, it's a kudos to your performance. And I didn't know if you were drawing on something there, but with an uncle that's a priest and, and an aunt that's a nun or whatever the one you said like that, like yeah. that would all make sense. Like what you were drawing from is some, some motivation there. Um, that was the, that was the intent behind the question. Well, yeah, and neither of them are are in those particular vocations any longer. So, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. So yeah. we, uh, Kristen, had an answer for this, and I'm interested to see if yours lined up. What do you think works uh, best for Science Seal Delivered? Is it the 42 minute episode uh, run, or is it the longer what hour 24, whatever it ends up being, uh, movie versions of the the program? I think Martha gets to tell a much deeper story in two hours. I like the sort of, I like the, the constancy of the one hour, but, um, 42 is, it's too short to introduce, uh, expand upon and wrap up. It, it it's hard to stay out of the formula when you're in a, a one hour. It just is. Yeah. I, I, that's been my experience so far as I can't wait for the movies because so when the 42 minutes work for me, they really work. And when they feel like filler, it's like, okay, she could be really writing character development stuff. And instead we're having to hop to the next thing to get the letter to where it, you know what I mean? Like that, that's been my really only complaint is, is, you know, I, I think the movies serve the characters better. Um, which when the show was canceled, you guys didn't know you were getting a movie. Like when the show was canceled, you just thought that was it. Right. Is that what I heard? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. I'll never forget when I got that phone call. Yeah. When it was canceled um, or when you got the movie? Uh, when it was canceled and that, um, that our producer was going to try and spin this into a silk purse and it worked out. So, you know, so was it a shock that it was canceled or were you guys starting to hear, Hey, they're going to choose between you guys and hope Valley. Uh, I actually didn't know it was a, it was a choice. It wasn't either or. Um, it's been so long. I might have just put that out of my <laughs> recollection. Um, but in my mind, there was no, there was, there was nothing else like it um, on the network. And I thought that it would be really foolish for it to disappear. And we had so many stories to tell. And we don't know, you know, the last several, we didn't know if we were coming back for another. And uh, we still don't know, but there, there's just so many stories to tell yet. Well, it, Kristen also said the one before to, it, to, to the altar. Is that the second to last one? The one before this one? She said they yeah. actually tore the sets down. You guys thought that was the end of it. Yeah, well, I mean, because there was such a gap between them, the sets got torn down anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's fair. That's just what happens. They couldn't um, afford to keep those things 
Uh, sitting on a stage somewhere. Which uh, which movie, and you can't say the most recent one, which movie, I've not seen any of them. I just don't want you to, to name the most recent as a cop-out. You get it. Uh, <laughs> which, which movie is the one that either is your favorite or that you're most proud of uh, personally? Well, um, my dad was a huge James Stewart, Jimmy Stewart fan. Um and so I had to watch uh, It's a Wonderful Life, you know, twice a year, every year. Of course. Um, but I remember going back and studying Frank Capra in college when I was taking film theory. And I saw Mr. Smith um, mm. goes to Washington. And I always forget the name. I think it's Impossible Dream uh, when we are trying to get um, the soldier um, back home, the female soldier who's lost in the mountains and um oliver has to make an entreaty to a senate a senate subcommittee and it was a bit of my um mr smith moment and it was really it was intense and probably the best hardest thing to deliver but um the most fun um heart-wrenching monologue i've had to deliver in all of the uh the shows stop selling i'm here i've not seen it yet but i'm here for it i'm here for it man the thing i love most about the show is a good oliver monologue like <laughs> yeah yeah there's yeah. it's it's so, it, it's so unique i feel like to just like there's just this guy and he's gonna just give you a good like it's a from good, a begotten era like yeah he clear he's not a technology guy it's an old school way of delivering this you know this speech yeah. like that's what he would do that's he waits until he has to to get the point across and then he's like okay now's the time for me to use my analog skills and my perfectly you know <laughs> to make sure you understand the heart of what's happening here it's the perfect you know you start to notice that they're writing and that the storyline is mimicking some sort of character development that's happening and when that is done seamlessly i love it and when it's on the nose but but you know i'm asking a lot but there's always a moment where oliver is going to make sure those at home understand <laughs> and do, so fluidly we have a lot of fun here on well, yeah that's right we, it's, <laughs> this, this is what's happening here yeah, yeah. We'll it's like at, at the end of saved by the bell they'd be like listen we have a lot of fun here but drugs they are serious <laughs> business right you know but the way you do it is so perfect like i can't i if now if we watch one and there's not a speech i'm gonna be upset that's right at this point was there any like uh i don't know I, i'm sure you don't overthink it but is there any extra preparation knowing i'm gonna give this like speech it's not just like having a convert like this is my moment to shine i got this speech i'm gonna give it is there anything extra that you have to do mentally or as an actor to just prepare to give such a an earnest speech without it coming across as cheesy or anything like that well the only yeah i mean that's the thing about martha's writing it is so it, it is of such a level that anything short of perfect you feel like you're doing the material a disservice is the only way i can describe it and it got so i mean from the very beginning it was like she it was almost like she was trying to see um if I could actually pull off something that long and difficult and she would put alliteration in there to make it even more, you know, I was like, is this just like you putting me through my circuit training? Like, I'm not <laughs> sure why you're doing this. And everyone like the other postables on set, they would sort of stand back and be like, mm, I'm glad it's not me who has to say that. <laughs> Go do your thing. All right. We'll just hang back while you, uh, yeah. So, but, but yeah, it was, you know, the time involved a lot of extra time because mm. if I don't believe it, then how am I going to make you guys believe it? You know, no kidding. I, mean, it's, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever worked so hard, um, to, to really, I mean, I, I would get something memorized and then I would throw it away and then start the work, you know, yeah. that was, it was a lot, uh, well, it's to me, I always, and I make up this story in my head, Eric, this could be not true at all, but in my head, <laughs> here, here's what happened, Eric, in my head is on the first movie, you give this speech to Shane about the letter in her pocket. She doesn't want to open and, you know, about faith and hope and, you know, wanting it to be, you know, wanting things to be whole again. And it's outside of the courthouse or somewhere. And it's a beautiful speech. Uh, and I think in my head, Martha saw that and went, okay, I can really, I can do this with this. Like I can start to expand how we use 
this character and in a soliloquy or a monologue of some sort. And so as, as it went forward, they become bigger and bigger moments. Um, that's how I imagine she it. saw it and she went, we got it. Do more no, of that. Martha's like, we're going to do more of that. I, was like, I, I knew I could write. I, I was on the fence on Eric being able to act, but now <laughs> it looks like, yes, it's a go. I mean, but like in my head, that's what happened. Well, you have to have her on the show and you can ask her that question herself. I would only ponder that like as these characters clicked she was only interested in fortifying the things that she liked about them and you know as each each character i think really stepped up and was able to play them to a t i mean the comic timing jeff gustafson has as norman's just i mean he's one of the funniest people i've ever worked with he really is but it's that kind of like it can be really dry and it's you great. have to really be available to it um, or not. You know, sometimes he can go broad too, which is what's so great. <laughs> you um, also did a couple of non-science you delivered Hallmark movies. Uh, was it? Like whiplash for you? Like you got this <laughs> freaking thing with science you delivered that is unlike Dan's right. It's unlike anything. It's the best thing that Hallmark channel has ever done. And I'm convinced of that. And it's unlike anything else on Hallmark. The, si- the Science Seal Delivered stuff is very different uh, than a week-to-week Hallmark Channel movie. Uh, did you know that, first of all, going into your first non-Science Seal Delivered Hallmark movie? Um, and like, what was, it, what was it like doing a Hallmark thing that wasn't Science Seal Delivered like in writing and in production and, and the whole package? Well... I have to answer this question very tactfully. Yeah, please don't don't poo poo on them, man. You, you don't, can, can especially I? because I produced a couple of those. All right, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and let's just say Martha commands a certain. Yeah, I see what's um, going on here. <laughs> uh, respect. Yeah. Um, that some other people might not have the uh, seniority to assert is that a good way that's fair is that good i think that that that's great and and here's the thing eric is i knew what ugly betty was i'd never seen the show when i started signs hill delivered you were the guy from a movie called welcome to christmas where i believe the sheriff of a town called christmas holds a woman hostage because she won't build a resort there um so uh that is not actually the plot but that's basically (laughs) how i read it was like this is a horror movie this is a horror movie where this woman crashes her car and then they're like you've got to save christmas for christmas and you're the lead of that movie and 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 uh they don't have enough lights for the lighting ceremony like we reviewed it don't go listen to that review please don't for the love of god and so like my like my thing was like I'm watching this beloved show led by this guy who in a movie that I thought was just just at the best absurd like at the best case scenario was absurd and then you're pulling off these speeches and i'm like who is this guy like this is not what i was watching earlier and so it had to be just a completely different experience and and you don't have to say any more on it i just wanted to let you know how i was feeling uh yeah so i maybe i'll I'll listen to that review perhaps uh, as long as you do it with a, a good heartedly and knowing that we're good people I mean, the other thing is the constraints in and of themselves in a Christmas movie. It's, I mean, I mean, you look at what Martha created in our Christmas movie for, oh, have you seen? No, not people? yet. No, it's a few no. weeks from now. We're on a, we did episode six this week. So no, we've got a few more. Yeah, we'll, be there in a month. we'll be there in a month. Yeah. So how do you tackle issues of faith in a realistic way without shoving it down people's throats? I mean, she does an impeccable job in that movie yes she does she does that in general in the show i feel like um you know very very you know as someone who grew up in the church and knows knows a thing or two about touched by an angel and so sometimes that was you know because it was overtly spiritual in by by nature knows what it looks like when something's being ham-fisted and heavy-handed in general you know by and large, that's not the case with Science Hill Delivered. Yeah. And there's plenty of opportunity for it to happen. And they let the work and the characters speak for themselves, which when is... Who that's right. That's right. We know all and, about... And, I mean, she... I'm not giving anything away, but she is a woman of incredibly deep faith, obviously. Yeah. Um, so her desire um, to get it right, and, um, I mean, she just... There's no way she could um, address it without it being resonant and truthful. 
Yeah. Um, the, the, the double deckers in the chat who get to watch this live on BramblejamPlus.com are giving me a hard time for giving you a hard time about Welcome to Christmas. <laughs> and so on, oh, beha- no, no, no. on behalf of them, I mean, I stand by everything I said, but on behalf of them, I'm very sorry. <laughs> Just tell them like the quote, um, uh, almost famous, you're not doing a puff piece. That's right. That's right. <laughs> this is serious investigative journalism here. Uh, that's what this is. That's right. That walk, yeah. That was prime prime Abbott, man. That was a prime prime Abbott Bill years. Abbott prime Abbott years. Uh, Christmas movie. Um, Rapid fire. Let's do rapid fire. Let's do it. I love it. We each get to ask you three questions. I know we've been asking you questions, but these are different. Different questions because they're Uh-oh. rapid. Uh, we each get to ask you three questions about anything, and you have to answer them as quickly and as honestly <laughs> as possible. More emphasis on the honesty and less on the quickness. Dan, uh, the best food or thing that's readily available in Boston, Massachusetts, that you miss in where I, I assume you're in Los Angeles. Uh, real East Coast lobster. East Coast lobster, lobster of course. The lobster. Yeah. Easy answer. I mean, Cape Cod lobster. I mean, there's nothing like it. Can you do a uh, a, a bo- good a good Boston, a good, Boston a good Massachusetts accent? accent? Depends on the writing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer we've ever had. Yeah, we've asked people to do accents all the time, and usually they take the bait. No, this guy fair. gets it; he uh, understands he's a, what's he's going a, on. He's a pro. He's a pro. Depends on the uh, the writing. <laughs> you didn't and get the, the uh, script. Had, uh, you didn't get. The- I just had an audition for a City on the Hill. Oh yeah, which is a Kevin Bacon show. Yeah, and uh, they seem to have gotten it right. Well, you didn't get the script we sent over before. Yeah, I sent a pretty. It's like got Dunkin' Donuts and like a lot also, of apostrophe with H at the really, end. Like a really lot. well written stuff, man. So whatever, it's fine. But I'm sure got lost in the mail. It'll get to you eventually. You'll sort it out. I know you will. The dead letter. Yeah, they'll, they'll, send, they'll sort it out. There's man. no problem. They'll sort there. it out. We got a guy on it. That's exactly Don't worry. right. Uh, was that a question? My accent, or was that just a? Uh, a, a I. It's not. Go ahead. Let me go with another. I'll count it. I'll count it. Okay. What's the best meal in Los Angeles? The best meal in Los Angeles. That is the best meal. I mean, you can't go wrong with sushi. I mean, you can't get a bad. I mean, best sushi then. Best sushi because I've had sushi in Los Angeles, but there's one place that people mention uh, nonstop. I want to hear if you mention it. Um, I know it's. It's old school, but consistently, I think um, Sushi Roku and Bar Roboto are they're they're just they're consistent. Where did we go? Really- we went to Sushi Katsuya. We're in South Carolina, by the way, Eric. But we, yeah, we yeah, absolutely, yeah, Katsuya. And then uh, Nikki Deloach doesn't stop talking about Nobu. Uh, Nobu Sushi is what she thinks is just dynamite. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any of the Nobus you go to, but they're sort of they're all over now. That's right. Um, they just opened. And look this up, a, a Nobu Hotel Good next to Lord. Nobu Sushi in Malibu. That is, that's something. The bed is made <laughs> of sushi. That's some, that's some successful sushi. That's making. some successful, that sushi. successful sushi. That's exactly sure. right. Um, if you're having, you know, you want to, what's your guilty pleasure uh, uh, snack food? Do you have one? Uh, guilty pleasure snack food. For me, I just call I think- that a, a weeknight, but... <laughs> I think potato chips. Yeah, come I, on. I really like the salt. The I forget the the kettle chips, salt and ground pepper. Yeah, I don't know why. Salt and cracked Cape, pepper. Cape cod. Cape cod. Cape cod. That's why it's Cape cod. Yeah. Come on, it's Cape that, cod. That's yeah. terrible. Put Very it away. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. He he's from Maine. He he not he lived in Maine. I lived in Maine for a few years, four to seven. Very developmental. Yeah, developmental time period. Yeah, Bahaba. Yeah, Bahaba. Very close to Bahaba. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. See, actually, we got him. He, he did uh, it. It sounded good. Uh, much to my chagrin. I was hoping it was bad. Um, uh, the, uh, your dream director, dream director to work for, or just your favorite film director. Either Either's fine. I'd like to work with Bradley Scott. I mean, come on. That's, that's a good answer yeah, there. Great answer. Come yeah. on. During the height of the pandemic, we were all watching. I was watching things I wasn't proud of. Love is Blind. Love is Blind 2. Great season. Um, <laughs> was there anything that you've watched over the last two years that you aren't proud to admit, but will but admit we'll it admit because here. I asked you? Oh, yeah. The Curse of Oak Island. What is that? I don't even know what that is. The Curse of Oak Island? No, no never, heard, never of heard of it. Really? Yeah. On the History Channel? What? It's about these, these two guys from Michigan who buy this piece of land off the coast of Nova Scotia 
they believe that there is a 14th century Knights Templar buried treasure there, and they're trying to find it. Oh, I, I'm looking it up right now. Wow. Well, that sounds great. That doesn't sound guilty at that all. Sounds that sounds like you would be up your alley. Well, no doubt. To, I, I don't uh, well, talk about love is blind, like being intentional, allowing yourself to be intentionally manipulated and feeling a little cheap because you know where it's going every time, but you still tune in. That's Oak Island because I don't think they're ever going to find yeah, treasure. It's like, but, it's like the ghost hunters. Oh, gosh. <laughs> right. Well, you maybe know. not quite as bad, but yeah, exactly. Can you <laughs> see that? Did you see that? Yeah, that's Did right. That's exactly right. You, are you auditioning for a new ghost adventure series, oh, Eric, man. right now? You, you do that with a Boston accent. It's yours. <laughs> it's yours. Um, I actually did an episode of um, The Haunting of, celebra- uh, The Haunting of, and then Celebrity Ghost Stories, where I kid you not, you have to watch this. We go back to one of the um, villages that my father curated, happened to have been, we moved to the Jersey Shore for middle school. And it was um, in the middle of Alaire State Park. And we go back with a, a ghost medium and I show her where I lived and we go and try and find oh the gosh. ghost. Oh, you've got brain's attention for sure. It's really good. It's really good. I now, but what I took from that, aside from that being interesting, obviously, is is Manhattan, Massachusetts, Jersey Shore. Like, what are the odds we get you back and we send you a script and it's Linearama? We just we can you're reading the script and we can just yell out one of those three and you have to change the accent as you're reading it because that is what I'm here for. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> Although the average person is not going to be able to discern between Manhattan and New Jersey because the tri-state area accents. So yeah, but try, try. Well, I know you. I know that you. you I know, I know you what you're capable of. I've heard the speeches. <laughs> But what, so, but take me in a, a paranormal show like that. Like how much, like what, what are we, what are we watching when we watch a show like that? It's a reenact. It's, I mean, it's, it's not a reenactment. It's they're just, it's just history, right? Well, it's yeah, it's history. But my experience when I was living there, whatever that would have been 11, 12, 12 ish, 11, 12 years old, uh, that there was the truth is that, um, James Allaire, who was the guy who uh, he had an, uh, an iron smelting operation. They would smelt the iron that was used to make the parts in his friend Robert Fulton's steamships. So it was all sort of pigeonholed. And he built this community and down on the shore. And um, his wife, he moves his wife there. He gets married and um, she falls ill and she dies when they have a young child, I believe. And he sits by her bed for, I think it was several weeks and um, he was waiting for her to show back up. Right. And it was at this time when my father um, was experimenting with those divining rods, right there. There's actually, without getting into it, I was talking about my experience back then and what I saw when my brother and I, because we lived, I know this is crazy. We lived in, in the old park it's a 3000 acre state park and there's the buildings are there. It's a village and we lived in the carpenter shop. So we lived in the middle of probably one of the scariest places you can imagine, especially as an 11 year old. Um, And uh, we would creep around at night and we saw some sketchy things and they wanted, I told that in the haunting of story and then they wanted to go back with a medium. This, this so they actually sent you back there with a medium. Correct. Wow. So what, like, what, what is that? Like, is it, are, is the media, like, are they trying to play it straight or is there direction? Like, let's spook things up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> no, there was no, it was unscripted and she would, but you know, the medium was sort of, again, I gotta be tactful. Um, you didn't you buy know, it. You didn't buy it. Fortune teller. They're trying to right. pull on a string, right? Yeah. If you give them information, they're trying to, to go with that. But it was fun to be back there, for I, certain. I, I got to be honest, Eric, this seals it. Uh, you, we've got to have you back. Be, but it's only ghost stories. It's ghost stories. <laughs> it's accents. We'll have you back on our Halloween episode it's, that we've never done before. Trying but we will to get Eric to say something just that's mean. That would be, that'd oh, be impressive. No, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that at all. <laughs> he would never either, and you know he wouldn't. I know it. Yeah. He's a better man than you. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, this has been so much fun, Eric. Thank you so much for joining us, especially early. Um you were you were fantastic. You were as as on it as we as you could have ever been. You, you crushed I it. I can't imagine what it's like when you're on it. When you're on you it, you were freaking on it. Really, thank you. I appreciate that. That's really nice, you guys. <laughs>
Thank, Thank you. you. That was a lot of fun. It's probably the, I have done a fair amount. A fair number of podcasts. This was by far the most fun. Well, thank you. So that's what sure. we want to go for. We don't want like we're not trying to uh, break any new ground. We just want to have fun. That's all that we're yeah. here for. I know that guys just want to have fun. That's all that's right. fun. Um, we end every episode with this, and so forgive us, but maybe we'd we'll be the first to wish you a Merry Christmas. Deck the Hallmarks of Bramble Jam podcast. It's presented by Philo TV. It's produced by Brandon Gray and recorded live in, yeah, that Greenville, South Carolina. Set decor is by Plum at Haywood Mall. For more information on Deck the Hallmark, you can go to deckthehallmark.com. For more information on Bramble Jam Podcast Network, you can go to bramblejampodcast.com. You're about to hear some ads that help keep the lights on here at the studio. Feel free to listen. Feel free to turn it off, whatever you want to. But either way, thanks so much for your support.